0: my sense is that hell and heaven are both relationships to love right because that consuming fire is the very love of god and and so they're not so much destinations because the destination of humanity is a new heavens and new earth it's it's a new creation um not new in kind but it's this physical creation remade um so that it's not groaning so that it's within the kindness and the embrace of love. Hmm. And that's the destination, right? Hmm. Um, the heavens, the spirit uh, realm, uh, God is spirit. Is it a, is it a place? It's, it's a dimension of reality. Um, so heaven and hell are relationships to love. If, if I, cause here's the problem. You're never going to get away from love. And if you want to keep saying no to it and, if, if you want, and potentially you could say no to this love forever, but you can't get away from it. So to be in the presence of light when you love darkness, that light is piercing. It is, it is confusing. It is painful. And to be in the presence of love when you want to hold on to your bitterness and to your unkindness and to your self-centeredness and to all the felt identities that you have, if, to be in the presence of love yeah. like that, And to keep saying no and resisting it, that's hell.
1: Came up from all the struggle, we still in trenches. There's no tomorrow, tighten up like some riches. See it all on my skin, it is so I'm grinning. Get happy for my own people, moving forward now, let's get it. Let's take it back in the day. We came up from the bottom, made it up to the top. Like we all want the lotto, we all rich in the love. Ain't got more than enough spread the whole message just trust me this a just know you worth it don't settle we wasting no time but we can get it back oh yeah we go
2: Hello wonderful people and welcome back to the What If Project podcast my name is Glenn and this is episode number 121 and I can't believe that we have arrived at episode or part number 7 I should say of our series to hell with hell Uh, It's an eight part series on hell. So, we're talking to William Paul Young today, who is the author of the wonderful book, The Shack. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, uh, you are missing out on some really good stuff. So, I'll put the link to that book in the show notes. I came across that book. Oh, man. I was just out of seminary and just about to start pastoring a church. And I was kind of in this place where I was starting to ask, ask some questions, but not really. But I kind of had this sense that I feel like the things I've been taught about God, like there might be more than to what, I, what I've been learning in seminary and Bible college. And I came across this book. A friend gave it to me. And I remember reading it going, whoa, <laughs> whoa. There's a lot of stuff in here that I know. My old tribe, or my current tribe at that time, would have a major issue with. But there's something about this that's very intriguing. And I mean, I could talk about that book all day. Just go Google it and you, you can kind of get the plot if you haven't read the book or seen the movie. Super good stuff. But uh, Paul's coming on the show today to talk to us about hell. He kind of touches on the topic in the book um, as well. And he brings a really unique and fresh perspective to this topic. And uh, what I love about Paul is he's not just a storyteller; he's a theologian. He really has some some really good perspective to bring to this stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. I won't say any I I don't want to ruin I don't want to ruin the fun for you. Uh, but yeah, so next week is the last uh, part of the series. We'll be talking to Julia Fuerta, uh about a book that she wrote on hell. And some of her perspectives. She's going to answer a lot of our, a lot of questions about hell. Uh, when you start to talk about there not being a hell, and people start giving a lot of pushback, uh, like I kind of ask her, like, "Hey, when I've talked about not believing in hell, this is the pushback I get. How do you respond to that?" So I think that it'll be a good way to kind of wrap up the series to give you some, I don't know, some tools for your tool belt uh, as you move forward and have these uh, discussions in your in your own uh, life and. And world. And I've already started recording for Christmas. Uh, Christmas is coming, believe it or not. And uh, we're doing a series called uh, Good News for All People. And so we're talking to uh, Bruxy Cavey, we're talking to John Dominic Crossan, we're talking to David Hayward, the naked pastor, and we're talking to Alexander John Shia. And just a few moments ago, I literally hung up with him. Uh, We recorded our episode and Dudes, it is, it is some wild stuff. Uh, his episode will be the Monday after Christmas because he's going to talk to us about the feast of Christmas, the 13 days of Christmas ending on Epiphany, uh, January 6th, what it all means. And uh, we were both almost crying at the end of the episode. So let me tell you, you're in for some good stuff. That's coming in December. Uh, good news for all people. This series, however, um, as I've been sharing in previous episodes, it's being sponsored by our friends at BeADisciple.com. dot uh, Here at the What If Project, we don't shy away from the hard questions, right? Like we're doing eight part series on hell. We talk about LGBTQ. We talk about all the different kinds of topics that usually bring the sharpest debates. Uh, we tackle the questions, and I think that that's, I think it's important, right? Because I think that wrestling with stuff is a sign of growth. Like, it's easy to kind of plant yourself in the ground, dig in your heels, white-knuckle your beliefs, and say, no matter what happens to me, I will never, ever doubt this. And we often think that's like a symbol of mature faith, but, but is it, right? Like, I think that maturity comes when we embrace questions, we're willing to explore doubts, and we recognize that, hey, maybe there's a little bit more uh, going on than I'm aware. Maybe there's more to this. Uh, and that's why I love BeDisciple.com. They're they're a social hub of sorts for all of your spiritual quandaries. And they're just a click away, BeDisciple.com. So head over there, uh, scroll through their classes. They're affordable, ecumenical, accredited. Uh, they're all short-term, 100% online. And they're taught by experts. They don't just pick random people off the internet to teach the classes. Uh, but the classes are taught by experts um, in their field, and they're done in the company of others. So you can ask questions and explore your doubts together, uh, not alone, but with with somebody else. So if you have any questions about that, if it sounds interesting to you, head over to bedisciple.com, enroll in a class, shoot him an email, and uh, have some fun. Uh, Special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. He's a hip-hop artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing amazing things in the world. I showcase his music a lot on the show uh, because I like him a lot, and uh, I think he's doing really important things and um, I want to share his music, get it in, get it in as many hands as possible. So uh, go to Apple Music, Spotify, Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G. Young Citizen, download the music, share it, pass it around, blast it from your speakers, all the stuff. And uh, lastly, the Heretic Shop. Uh, holidays are coming. If you want to buy, I don't know, looking for a gift for somebody, uh, there's some heretical gear over there. Uh, so if you want to get a hoodie, I uh, want to get a sweatshirt, want to get a jacket stickers mugs all the different things head over there check it out the heretic shop I'll put the link to that in the show notes along with patreon patreon.com slash what if project if you want to support the show and uh, all that to say I'm done I'm done talking Uh, this is episode number 121 it's my conversation with William Paul Young
1: feel searching for a deal on my last meal crack the seal so much i can take gotta take a meal constant battle got so many wounds hope they start the hill it's getting real it's getting real yeah seems like i'm a crab in the bucket it'll take a while before i catch one buffer uh. feeling like i'm living robotic once i get the chance i'm a living iconic Always catch me on my high, ain't gon' never see me low. High above the cloudy skies, yeah, I'm focused on this growth. Nothing left to evolve, ain't gon' never see me fall. Hope oh, my brother get out soon, and this yeah. world is getting cold. Hey
2: everybody, out. welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by repeat guest, uh William Paul Young, who is the author Woo-hoo. of one of my favorite books, uh The Shack. So Paul, welcome back to the podcast. It's
0: always good to hear your voice. And always good to be with you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. So for our listeners, if you want to hear more about Paul's life, his story, all that stuff, head back to our first conversation. I think it was in season two of the podcast. But today, uh, Paul, I wanted to talk to you about the very big emotional topic of hell. Uh, Not a very super happy topic, but I think you would agree that it's a topic that for a lot of people carries a lot of baggage, some trauma, some pain. Wouldn't you agree?
0: I would absolutely agree. I grew up in modern evangelical fundamentalism and missions was, um, was geared in our denomination around the concept of hell. That is, mm. you know, the intention was to try to keep people out of it. Their blood would be on our hands, that, that whole mentality. Yeah. And it was eternal conscious torment is how hell was defined very strictly. And uh, mm. so I, I grew up in that world.
2: Yeah. So maybe take us, take us back there. Maybe go a little bit deeper into kind of what what were you taught as a, as a child? Like what, what did those teachings perhaps do to you? Did you carry them with you into adulthood? Like maybe talk to us a little bit about what that was like.
0: Yeah. I, I carried them a long time uh, and I think trauma will do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. It gets embedded in you pretty deeply. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in the way I grew up, it was, it it was this view is the scriptural view. Yes. Yeah. And um, and therefore to even question it was to open up the possibility that you'd end up there. And, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was self-referential in the sense that, uh, you don't, you don't want to mess with this. And so don't mess with the concept of it. Don't, you know, it just accept it.
3: Yeah. And
0: so, <clears throat> so hell became, uh, the destination, heaven or hell, and then everything else was transactional. And, uh, you couple that with, um, the underlying view that human beings are totally depraved, they're wicked, they are, they have a sin nature, mm. um, and all of that, and then it's like you're doomed. I mean, yeah. you're you're absolutely doomed. And then and then say you have trauma as a child, or you have abuse, or you have neglect or abandonment, and and you get damaged along the way, and as a result, you make bad choices, and now mm. it's up to you to perform. And the way the <clears throat> the secret passageway out is to do the magic of saying the sinner's prayer, which yeah. you know we have to realize didn't exist a couple hundred years ago. Right. And um, so it's a it's a new construction of of how to get to get into the inside, so that so even though you are a worthless piece of crap, that Jesus would cover you with His righteousness and sneak you into heaven. Mm. And um, and so <clears throat> you know there are a lot of things about the concept of hell that we never even were allowed to question like mm-hmm. doesn't it seem to you to make god the father of a different character and nature than jesus
2: yeah yeah
0: you know and and yeah. doesn't it seem to you that there are all the i mean like seriously what about unborn babies what about new babies what about 5 year olds yeah what about 12 year old in a day mm. you know <clears throat> So we had all these ways of looking at this, and so when it came down to a baby, for example, well, w- you have two choices, yeah. You can either send the baby to eternal conscious torment. Why? Why would you even do that? Mm. Well, you do that because the baby has a sin nature, and and the only way you can deal with a sin nature is that they're already they are already totally depraved, and so you're just you know sending them to eternal conscious torment. Mm. And then, um, and then it's like, oh, well, that's a really tough one. Especially if you have any kind of a heart and, and you're a human and, um, and you tend to love your children and it's like, are you sure? Well, then they had things like, well, <clears throat> if your baby is born into a Christian household, then your faith will then cover that baby and that baby will get to go to heaven. And, and so there are all these little subtexts and secret ways to try to get out of this. Hmm. And then, um, if you or you could just say, "Well, I'm." Well, then babies, they get a pass. You know, they're they're innocent. They haven't made a decision to age go of against accountability, the right?
3: Made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, the age of accountability was twelve in our denomination. Yeah, and I <clears throat> they picked that because one, they had the illusion that that Isaac was twelve. Mm -hmm. And that Jesus, when he was 12, he's, he knows who his father is. So it was sort of like at 12, you're supposed to be in conscious awareness, which raised another problem. Like, what if you're, uh, well, are we, are we counting 12 as from the point of conception or 12 from the point of birth? Right. So if your birth is premature, then 12 comes sooner. But if, if you're 12 in a day, you're kind of like, I'm so sorry, we hit the mark, you know, right, and you just, right. you know, you prayed the, you didn't pray, you died, you were 12 years old running through the Amazon, and, and boom, that's it, you turned mm-hmm. 12, you know, I'm sorry. And, um, and, and then <clears throat> it was like, what about the people who never even heard about Jesus? Well, they, they get, and this is seminary, this is seminary level teaching um that i experienced and that was while the people who never heard they get judged by a different standard they get judged by the amount of light that they have received Mm -hmm. and they did that out of romans so creation speaks of the glory of god so they look at creation and they go wow someone made this i Mm -hmm. think i'm going to believe in that someone and i don't know their name but they'll be judged by the fact that they responded to the glory of God that was visible in creation. And so they're judged by the light that they have received, which is a far lower bar than, um, you know, a modern American. And, uh, and so my question was as a missionary kid, (laughs) why are we going to tell them? Because don't we automatically push them into a place where they have a far higher possibility of going to eternal conscious torment. Yeah. You know, what's, what's the purpose? Aren't we, aren't we, isn't the good news actually damning? Yeah. You know, for, for most people. It's like we're doing uh, them
2: a disservice if we tell them.
0: (laughs) I know. Yeah. So, so we're in these, like, so do children get to go to heaven? If they get to go to heaven, then why are we against the abortionists? They're the greatest evangelists on the planet earth. You know, they, they put more unborn babies who didn't have a chance to go against the character and nature of God and to sin and all that kind of stuff. And so they get, they get to go. So it sounds like the euthanasia of children would be a great evangelistic tool. Um, but we can't do it because, you know, you, thou shalt not kill, but, right. <laughs> but why would we oppose the abortionist? I mean, it puts yeah. you into these
2: so many questions.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Conundrums. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, how how about how about the mentally ill? We never talked about the mentally ill. Hmm. Uh, how about the person who is schizophrenic to the point where they can't make a coherent decision? Do they yeah. get a free pass to heaven or are they doomed by their uh, biological uh devastation? Is, yeah. is it because their genetics are all screwed up? Is because and so I'm sorry, you're out of luck. You just happen to be born with the wrong genes and you have a sin nature anyway. So yeah. eternal conscious torment. Yeah. And um, and, and then it's like, okay, so if Jesus came to save us from that sort of wrath of God, as, you know, because it was always like God the Father was the keeper of, of hell, you know, he yep. was the judge in the courtroom.
2: Jesus is like the middle guy. <laughs>
0: Jesus is like the defense attorney.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. You
0: know? uh, but it's he—he—he's not doing this pro bono, right? Mm, yeah. He's a defense attorney, and you've got to pay him. How do you pay him? You accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah. And if you do that, then when he dies, he dies for those people who paid him. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you didn't pay him, I'm sorry, you're 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 out of luck. You didn't you didn't say the right thing. You didn't do the right transaction.
3: Mm.
0: And therefore he can't, he cannot take the penalty for you. Now he thought he was taking the penalty for the entire cosmos. That's what the scripture says. But you know, we know better. He, (laughs) he only took the penalty for those people who would ultimately believe in him and they had to do it before they died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, the whole conversation is screwed up Mm. and, And we got our imagery from Dante and from ideas of, of fire being contrary to the nature of God. This is God's punitive justice. You know, I was, Mm -hmm. uh, I was at a seminary and I, um, and I was talking to a couple young theologians and, um, I thought they were so young. They didn't have children. (laughs) That was was my mistake. And and I said to, uh, we were talking, they always want to talk to me about universalism because they think I'm a universalist Mm. and, and they want to talk to me about the inerrancy of scripture. Those are the two big topics in a lot of the more reformed, um, uh, part of the family of, of Christianity. And, and, uh, so we're talking about these things. And I said, you know, because I'm an older guy, I've got six kids and 12 grandbabies. And, and I said, you know, I said, uh, things changed for me a lot. When I started having children, I Mm. started to relook at scripture and the character and nature of God. And I said, um, maybe when you have children, it, it will impact the way you're looking at things. And one of the two guys says, I have two sons, two young sons. And I went inside, I went, ah, crap, walked right into that. (laughs) And then I, so I, then I asked him, I said, look, let me ask you a question. How are you going to feel if God has ordained, I'm using their language. Yeah. Reform language. Yeah. Yeah. If God has ordained your two sons to be expressions of his justice. And that's code, code language for those of you who don't know. That means
2: I just started the Twitch when you said that.
0: <laughs> but go uh, ahead. <laughs> that God chose, chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, yeah, right? Yeah. And most people go to hell. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean,
0: it just seems to be the way the numbers work.
3: Yeah.
0: And, um, and even those who believe in this kind of uh, predestination, even those who hold to that, don't have the assurance mm-hmm. that they're in. I mean, you could even say the sinner's prayer, and I'm sorry, you weren't one of the ones who or were ordained, so you don't have any personal sense of assurance, um, even up until your death. Yeah, and uh, which is a horrible way to live. Hmm. Uh, you're always wondering if you're in or you're out, and and uh, that that's a whole different conversation. Hmm. But but I said, how how are you going to feel if God has chosen your two sons to be expressions of His justice, which means that God is gonna send them to eternal conscious torment. Mm. And he looks at me and he says, not only would I be ecstatic about it, I would have to be. Wow. And mm. my heart broke for him. I wanted to ask him, how long are you, have you been struggling with porn? Right? Or tell me about your dad. There's something that has happened to him that yeah. has so disassociated his head from his heart. Yeah that that even his own child he sees as a pawn in god's chess game of justice and yeah. justice as defined by um, retribution and punitive um power yeah. and um so it, it, when you divorce your head from your heart to that extent something's going to come into that gap and in this culture It's the imagination of a relationship, which is what porn is. and So you don't have to take the risk of a real one. So, you know, the conversation of hell is a huge one because so many of us who grew up inside of religious Christianity carry the weight of that. And so our response primarily is a fear response to God. It's like, yeah, he loves us, but if, you know, if we do the wrong thing or we don't do this right, then we're toast yeah. and um and it pits the character of, of jesus contrary to the character of god the father yeah. you know it's it's like god the father needs to be appeased god the father needs a sacrifice somehow jesus does it need a sacrifice and he's god you know so it can it puts our theology into conflict yeah and um and it's it's just a devastating thing and so then then it becomes the motivation, right? Our motivation is to try to keep people from going to hell. And and that becomes the good news. Uh, This is an old Larry Norman. He goes like, I'm here to tell you the good news. What's that? You're going to hell, (laughs) you know? And, uh, and it's like, uh, no, that is not the, what the scriptures was talking about. That is, but it took me a long time to disentangle myself from, From that, and part of it was I had I had to ask those questions. Are you telling me? And then, you know, that got me involved with stories like Abraham and Isaac. And is that, you know, God arbitrarily saying you better sacrifice your son because you're, you know, my my purposes for you need to be. I need to be the priority in your life, not your love for your child. You know, that kind of crazy stupidity in terms of how we translate or interpret scripture
2: yeah i always I mean, found this so hard because like I, I like you i was raised in that world and then i went to like fourth through twelfth grade was a private christian school four years of bible college i've been through like six years of seminary and so like there's a certain narrative that was just drilled into my head like literally since i could barely remember of one way of understanding these stories one way of understanding god and jesus and all the things and once i started to like rethink the stuff i found my heart going one way but my mind really lagging behind as i was trying to figure out like what do i do with all these stories and for me you know you mentioned about having children like that i remember having a literal theological crisis in the hospital because like my my wife we had a c-section and um baby was born and she had to immediately go to the NICU because she was having some, some issues. And so my wife's out cold and I'm like, I I, I, like, I'm like having a heart attack inside. And I go, we go down to the NICU and I remember standing in front of the tank, like looking at my child, thinking to myself, number one, how in the world could this innocent being be sinful? Like I've been taught all my life that it's true But now that I'm looking at my own flesh and blood, I'm like, there's no possible way that as a father, I could say that this child is a sinner who is deserving of hell. And then I had another theological crisis in that room was, wait a minute, if Jesus taught us to forgive our enemies, so to speak, then that means that if God is sending people to hell who don't believe in him, that means that he's apparently unable to do the very thing he's asking us to do. And like, I remember just having like all these questions, like you said, like going down this rabbit hole of all these different questions. And that kind of has brought me to this place where I am today, where I'm just asking all of these questions. So I think, like you said, once you have a child of your own, everything changes.
0: Yeah. And two things come to mind. One is hell is hell. Mm. And, and that is it is, and the way that it was presented to us, it, it didn't matter whether you were five years old and you had fibbed mm. or that you were a mass murderer and had killed a whole bunch of people. You still ended up there and you still ended up there forever. Mm. And, and the, here's the problem. That means that anybody who ends up in that concept of hell will experience more pain and suffering than the entire human race has experienced collectively because it's eternal. It's just a matter of time. Right? Yeah. So so that little 5-year-old who fibbed and somehow is now in violation of the law of God because he didn't tell the truth and he didn't say the sinner's prayer and he didn't do the right magic and he didn't get on the inside of this that that child that child is going to experience more pain and suffering than the entire human race has collectively experienced to this point. Yeah. And, and that just makes no sense. Yeah. And, and that, that also, I only know two people in, in, in my uh, awareness who actually believed in hell the way that my people have preached it. Hmm. I only know two and they're both women and they both killed their children. And uh, the one woman in Florida who killed her three children and she killed her oldest was just about to turn 12. So she believed in the age of accountability Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and, and she killed her three children. And on the witness stand, her defense was, I know what I did was wrong, but I, I love my children so much that I will exchange my eternal destiny for theirs. Wow. Right. Yeah. she actually believes in eternal conscious torment and she is saying because of love i killed my children so that they can have an eternity with god even though it will cost me that now you can see how twisted that is but at the same time you can see the redemptive intention of god in the in the in the death of jesus in that you know I'm willing to go to the depths of your lostness of your illusion and delusion and sacrifice being killed at your hands, talking to the human race, right. Mm -hmm. In order to bring you out of this. And, and it's, and I'm going like, yeah, Yeah. this, this woman, Mm -hmm. If, if hell is like that, why wouldn't you kill your own children? Because your love for them is self-giving, sacrificial love. you die for them. Yeah. And she was, she was willing to die for them in an eternal sense. And you go like, but that's really sick. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. it's really sick and twisted. But why is it? It's because the dominant framework was eternal conscious torment. Hmm.
2: It's like she caught the vision of God, but in a very warped and twisted way. Yeah. she
0: did and huh. <clears throat> and she didn't want her children to spend eternity apart from god yeah and and again i'm I'm willing to die for my kids that where does that kind of love come from you know it comes from the father son and holy spirit yeah so let's press the the
2: question a little bit then like in your in your mind and your estimation you know is is there a hell like i mean obviously you're not God, so I realize you don't have the telltale answer, but in your opinion, your experience, your understanding of the Bible, if you were pressed, you know, you had to give an answer. Is hell a place that does not exist or is hell a place that does exist? Is it a, a reality that exists? Maybe with ideas and doctrines, theologies of fire, torture that have to be kind of rethought, reevaluated. Like if you had to give us a, a short Uh, theology so to speak of hell like how how do you understand it these days
0: okay so let me put it in in a different kind of a nutshell yeah my sense is that hell and heaven are both relationships to love
3: Hmm.
0: right because that consuming fire is the very love of god and and so they're not so much destinations because the destination of humanity is a new heavens and new earth it's It's a new creation, uh, um, not new in kind, but it's this physical creation remade, um, so that it's not groaning, so that it's <clears throat> within the kindness and the embrace of love,
3: hmm.
0: and that's the destination, right? Hmm. Um, the heavens, the spirit uh, realm, uh, God is spirit. Uh, is it a? Is it a place? It's it's a dimension of reality. Um, so heaven and hell are relationships to love if if i cuz here's the problem you're never going to get away from love and if you want to keep saying no to it and if if you want and potentially you could say no to this love forever but you can't get away from it so to be in the presence of light when you love darkness that light is piercing it is it is confusing it is painful and to be in the presence of love when you want to hold on to your bitterness and to your unkindness and to your self-centeredness and to all the felt identities that you have, to be in the presence of love like that and to keep saying no and resisting it, that's hell. Mm. That's hell. And to say yes to it, that's heaven. But it's the same love that is the framework. It's not fear. It's not like eternal conscious torment it's not that yeah and um so is there a place yeah in a in a metaphorical sense yeah i mean and it's like is there is there the fiery fury of god which is god's love that is aimed at me and the answer is no
3: Hmm.
0: what is what is what is the wrath that is revealed Against. It's against all unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? That is everything that keeps me from being fully human and fully alive. So, this fury of God, the love of God, and it's the same fury that I feel if my children are in danger, if they are starting to believe a lie about themselves, it is that same fiery fury of love that wants to destroy that which is harming the ones I love, right? Mm. That is the fury of God. Mm. And that love. Um, this is George McDonald. That love will not stand idly by while anything that is not of love's kind remains in me. And so the, everyone gets salted with fire. Is that hell? Yeah. Is it painful? Yup. But everybody will go through this because we have all kinds of crap in terms of how we think, how we believe, how we treat people. All of, I don't know what the ages of judgment are all about, but there are ages of judgment. And, um, and so it's like, s- it's fire is a m- metaphor without exception for cleansing. Yeah. It's not punitive. It's not retributive. It's redemptive. Yeah. Again, George MacDonald, if you trust the goodness of God, you will run to this God with your arms wide open and you will say, please
3: mm.
0: come and judge me to the core and burn out of me everything that keeps me from being fully human and fully alive. Mm. And, and I love that because at the core of this is the goodness of God. If God must punish you because you broke the law, then God is beholden to the law. The law is truly God, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm. right? The nature of God is not law, it's love. Yeah but this love has to allow you to experience the wrath of sin and it's not the wrath of god mm. it's it's sin has its own consequences gay. it's a metaphor for self-inflicted consequences of deny of, of defying god mm. when when we defy light and good and love and kindness and and joy and forgiveness when we defy that we It's not that God literally wraths us, but as long as we turn from the light, we'll endure the suffering generated by the shadows that we create. Mm. So the the light of Christ's unfailing love shines on all of us without fail, but our rejection of the light leaves us wallowing in our brokenness and experiencing the wages of sin, Mm. not of God. These are not the wages of God. These Mm. are the wages of sin, of brokenness. You know, um, the story of the prodigal son is probably the most perfect picture of, of what that's like, where the father is not, doesn't even concern himself with, you know, the entire confession of all the sins and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is love that waits while the son wallows in the consequences of his choices or the wrath of sin. And, um, you know, there's a we're so embedded inside this idea of the wrath of god that we'll even add to verses that talk about wrath we'll add of god and they're not in the original languages at all in any text mm. any original manuscript yeah. you know the wrath of god is revealed um you know uh, and it's against and even there it's not against you it's against unrighteousness it's against right. It's against that which keeps you from being fully human and fully alive. Brad Jerzak does a super good job in, in his book, um, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, mm. which is about um, hell. The whole book's about hell, and anybody can find it on Amazon. But, but in it, he tracks two different views of hell that come, you know, the Lake of Fire, that's Jeremiah. Jeremiah started a lot of the imagery with regard to Gehenna. Mm. Gehenna was the garbage dump outside of jerusalem and and that's where all the garbage was burned for the city but before that the the valley of hinnom gehenna was the valley outside of jerusalem that the temple or the sacrificial uh place for the believers of Molech, this horrible god who required the burning of children so that they would pass children through the fire and Jeremiah was so furious about this that he sent an entire army into that valley and they literally burned the valley to the to nothing. They destroyed uh, the Molech Temple or the worshiping center. They destroyed this thing with fire. And the point was that the fire was to cleanse and it became a metaphor for cleansing. And, and it's interesting. The, the Pharisees had something like an eternal conscious torment, except not eternal. It was just... There was a place of conscious torment post-mortem in which uh, you paid for the amount of sin you'd committed until you were done and then you were extinguished. Mm. And, um, and so that, that exists at the time of Jesus. And so when Jesus talks about Gehenna and hell, Jesus, without exception, quotes Jeremiah. Every mm. time he says Gehenna, he quotes Jeremiah because he wants everybody to know, I'm in the line of Jeremiah in terms of how I see this, hmm. that this is the intention of this loving fire is to cleanse. Hmm. That's the point. And, um, and, and, and here's another thing. If hell, eternal conscious torment was such a big deal, I mean, and it would be the big deal, yeah? Yeah, if it I was think so, <laughs> right. You would think that it would be absolutely everywhere in terms of the, all the first sermons of the apostles in yeah. the book of Acts, yeah. not mentioned one time,
3: hmm.
0: not one time. Hmm. So in, in their frame of reference, this is something that is, that is way down the road of consideration. And it's because it's not talking about our destiny. It's talking about the love of God who is, who is a consuming fire. God mm. is a consuming fire and this God is love. Yeah. And the consuming fire will burn away like the burning bush, everything that is not living while keeping everything that is truly alive. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, the whole conversation is completely different. Let me, mm. let me um, bring up another point we have a a view of God as judge and it's a forensic view. It's called forensic theology and forensic doesn't, you know, it's, it's a legal, it's a legal model. It -hmm. means uh, a lawful or legal. And, and we got our forensic theology in the last few hundred years from a bunch of lawyers. Augustine was a lawyer. Calvin was a lawyer. Luther was a lawyer. And um, so we ended up with this model of um, forensic atonement, forensic theology. And because god is a judge Mm. and so we just think oh in a courtroom well the early church never saw god as a judge in a courtroom that was not their model they had god as a judge Mm. but a completely different model we inherited a courtroom now in a courtroom as soon as you create a framework like a courtroom you now have definitions of what people do or what the characters in the story do so so what does the judge do what's the job of the judge in a legal courtroom Well, the job of the judge is to determine whether you're guilty or innocent. Mm. And if you're determined to be guilty, if you're innocent, you're set free. If you're guilty, you then are sentenced. Mm. Now, in this courtroom, there's only one sentence, right? And that is, if you're innocent, you go free. If you're guilty, you go to hell. Mm -hmm. And it's eternal conscious torment. So so, So God the Father is the judge in the courtroom model. And so, do you want to go face that judge? Do you want to go? Do you want to go to court? Well, we all know we've transgressed the law. You know, mm-hmm. even the most self-righteous person will acknowledge that they've hurt people and bent, you know, bent morality if not broken it, and and um, you know they've lusted after people in their imagination, and mm-hmm. they've disempowered people, and they've used money as violence, and they've. Hurt people and slandered people, and we—that's and that's our brokenness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so now we're going to go see God as the judge. Great, great, great. And so what do we do? We come up with a forensic atonement. Jesus is the defense attorney who then steps between me and God the Father and says, "All right, I know I know somebody's got to pay, and so you know the law says so, and you're beholden to the law." And so I am going to take the penalty um, uh, because you, God, the Father, you, Father, are beholden to the law. And so I know you love this person, but you have to act according to the law. So, so because the law is bigger than you, and, and therefore I am going to take the punishment for this person, right? Yeah. And, and so take it out on me. Mm-hmm. And even though he's a piece of crap because he has a sin nature and all that, I'm going to cover him with my righteousness, and and that will get him into heaven. Hmm. As long as you paid him, because that's right. the other part of this whole thing, <laughs> right? So, but that's our model. Yeah, and Scott, that's
2: the model I was models. raised with. Yep,
0: <laughs> yep. And it, it one, it denies the deity of Christ, which is just wild, you know. And that, that kind of I'll, the Father pouring His wrath out on His Son, it denies the deity of Christ because it makes God the Father of a different character and nature. Hmm. And you can't have that. Jesus was wrong when He says. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If they have two different characters and natures, mm. you know? Yeah. And, um, so, so, uh, what was the model of the early church? Well, it was completely different. They, they had a judge. Yeah. They saw God as a judge. Of course, God is a judge, but they had a name for the God who is a judge. They called him the great physician. So mm. instead of the courtroom model, it was a doctor hospital model. Mm. and, and, So now we have a different framework. We don't have a courtroom, we have a doctor. And so why would you go see the doctor? Because you're sick, because something's broken, because you're dying, because something's wrong. So you go see the doctor. Do you wanna go see the doctor? Yeah, I wanna go see the doctor. Why do I wanna go to see the doctor? So he can tell me what's wrong. And, And that's called judgment. Judging mm. is going to expose the things that are not right, that are broken, that are twisted, that are that are contrary to the nature of being made in the image and likeness of God, right? Mm. Uh, which is not sin nature. It is the divine nature that is in every single human being who is a child of God. And every single human being is a child of God. And if you don't believe it, read Acts 17 and other passages. Yeah. And um, so it's like, uh, so... You go see the doctor and the doctor judges you. Yep. you got this illness or you have cancer or you, you know, you have a liver that is going crazy and it's not right. So then, then you, you say, are you going to pass sentence? Yep. Yep. Here's a prescription. Here's an operation. Here's a cast. Here is whatever it's going to take. What's the point. And the whole Hippocratic oath comes out of this model. I will do no harm i will do no harm so this is a god who will do no harm but all the sentencing the intention of that sentencing is to restore you back to wholeness to to life right it's it's not to try to beat the sickness out of you so you know well eternal conscious torment has no redemptive quality to it at all at all right yeah it's just pure punishment And, um, but in, when you, a doctor, the whole point is redemptive and restoration. Yeah. And, and and I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, I, no wonder McDonald says, if you trust the goodness of God, you will run to him with your arms wide open and say, please judge me, judge me to the core and burn out of me. Yeah. You know, give me the chemo that will destroy the sickness that is in me That keeps me um, inside the consequences of the brokenness, which is, you know, experiencing the wrath of this, that Mm -hmm. God gives, God gives them over to what? To their own choices. And it's like, why, why do you have such a high view of humanity that you would give us over to our own choices? Because our own choices are so debilitating and destructive and harmful. And then God says, because if I don't allow you to have choices that matter, then your love won't matter either. Yeah. If your yes is going to matter, your no must matter. And, but it has consequences. Mm-hmm. And so sin is its own consequences. Yeah, it's its own consequence. Right. And, um, and we know this. We know this in terms of our own experience. We know this that that when we wallow in in our blindness and darkness we experiences the con- we experience consequences that are terrible then you know we do hurt to others as well as to ourselves and yeah and um and and we've got a world full of people who don't know who they are yeah. that are fighting with other people who don't know who they are hmm. and um and we're experiencing the wrath of unrighteousness, the mm. wrath of sin.
2: So if I'm understanding it correctly, then we've got these two, these two perspectives on God. We have God, the judge, like you said, in a courtroom, and God, the doctor in a hospital. And both of them are technically judges, and both of them have some sort of fire. But God, the judge in the courtroom, like you said, is sentencing either heaven or hell and the fire comes on those who go to hell, and then that's the end of the story. But the doctor in the hospital, he judges to find out what's, what's wrong, what shouldn't be there, and the fire is there to burn away those things for purposes of restoration, not purposes of punishment. Is that, a, is that a good ac- fairly good description? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm following I, I, you.
0: It's a, it's a limited analogy, but chemo yeah. would be a, a, kind like of a good example.
2: I like it. So in the midst of that, then like, if we look at the hospital view of God, where does the Jesus story fit in? Like, what do we do with the narrative of like the crucifixion, the resurrection? Like if Jesus didn't die on the cross to lack of a better way to put it, save us from like his angry dad, then, you know, what was the, how does all of that fit into the hospital room analogy?
0: Okay. So great question. Let me see if I can find language to answer it very specifically. And that is that what we did is that, that we went to the hospital and grabbed the doctor and killed him. Right. Mm. And, um, and, and you go like, well, that's ludicrous. That's insane. Exactly. That's the point. This is, this is not God the father pouring out his wrath on his son. Mm. Um, this is about the human race pouring out their wrath upon the sun. Mm. Um, so it, it's truly God in the hands of angry sinners. Mm. And, um, and so why? Well, because we are so lost in our delusion of aloneness and we have redefined truth and reality and everything else according to our darkness, uh, which we entered into when we turned away from the light. Mm. Uh, when When you turn away from light, you cast a shadow that then becomes how you then define everything mm-hmm. so so this this was in the purpose of God from outside of time. You read Ephesians one and colossians one this This was God working out the purpose of redeeming a human race who would say no, right mm-hmm. because God could have. God could have chosen not to create. God could have chosen a creation that was completely and only natural law that acted like a big machine. God could have chosen to create a big machine in which human beings thought they were free, but actually weren't. So we would live in bliss. Or God could have chosen to create a universe in which human beings could actually say no to God and it would matter. Mm. We're in that fourth one. And that's the only universe in which love and relationship are possible. And, and, and it's like God knows. If we create this hum, humanity, they're going to say no to love. They're going to say no to relationship. They're going to think they are alone. They're going to think that they are separated. They're going to redefine reality according to their darkness. What, how do we get to them? How do we, we reach them? And so Jesus is slain from the foundation of the world. And that is worked into space and time in the incarnation
3: Mm.
0: and and so jesus comes to bear and here's the thing and this is a big concept in the new testament and in the early church is that all of humanity is in christ all of creation is in christ this is why there's no separation you are created in christ every single human being the entire cosmos was created in him not anything that has come into being has come come into being apart from him uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. The entire cosmos and creation was created in him and is now sustained and held together in him, for him, by him, through him. And now this one in whom you live and move and have your being, he becomes fully human, fully human, completely human. And this one who is nursing at Mary's breast, He she at the same time lives and moves and has her being in him. And so she is in him. And what happens? Well, he has gathered us all up and in him. And when he goes to the cross, which we created, God never made a cross. God doesn't make crosses. God is not into torture machines. Mm. Um, And God doesn't need death. We brought death into into this world, which is an illusion of separation. Mm. We did that. And we live by the fear of death and the power of that fear. And and what Jesus does is he takes us all and he meets the requirements that the human race thought they needed. We need a sacrifice. We need someone to pay. We need a scapegoat. And all of that had been foreseen and built into the Jewish system so that Jesus could fulfill it all, all the demands of the human race that needed a sacrifice or someone to pay. And then he gathers us all up. And when he dies, the entire cosmos dies. And when he rises from the dead, the entire cosmos rises from the dead. And when he ascends, we ascend.
3: Mm. And that
0: includes every single human being. Now, are we aware of it? No. Even those of, of, of us who have been in this ongoing growing relationship with Jesus, we're not aware of it most of the time. And um, that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places, you know, and still we are fully human inside of this moment by moment world because this world is completely in him. And, um, and, and that's just like scandalous yeah. that, that Jesus does huh. that. So he takes our worst and he enters into our worst, which is the illusion of separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't feel you anymore, I can't sense you anymore. I've entered into the world's sense of separation, mm. which is an illusion. But yeah. I know you, so into your hands I commit my spirit. Mm. Father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. And 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 Psalm 22 says that's exactly what happened, right? Starts with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and then yeah. it ends with he finished it and and halfway through, it says, you won't despise the affliction of the afflicted, nor will you turn your face from him. This, mm. is, this is not a God who will turn his face away from his son. For God the Father was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, yeah. not counting their sins against them. Amen. What is our whole, whole courtroom scene is based on counting your sins against yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yep. And it's like, so... Did nothing happen in the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the Mm. incarnation? Was it, did nothing actually happen? Or did, is Paul right, God the Father was in Christ and reconciled, past tense, completed action with um, forward-carrying effect,
3: Mm.
0: or God was in Christ and reconciled the cosmos, the entire creation to himself, not counting their sins against them. Yeah. Now salvation having been accomplished we get to work it out we get to work it out in union with the father son and holy spirit for he Mm -hmm. works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure and it's good it's good but we are our war is not against flesh and blood it's against the principalities and powers the things that we have believed the the edifices of ideological stupidity that we have mounted inside of religion and economics and and, uh, and politics and all of this stuff that would drive us in the direction of the delusion of the self-identity. Yeah. And we've been freed from that. And now we can participate in the life of the spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh because they are that which dr- drives us toward hell
3: yeah.
0: and the wrath of sin. And yeah. we have been freed from all of that in Jesus to him be the, the glory and the praise and the adoration.
2: Amen, and that that love, that great love, I like, get like Paul says in uh, Romans, uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. Like God's nothing. love is always there. And so, I guess again, if I'm understanding you right, then back to what we said earlier, heaven and hell that are not so much destinations, but they're the reality that we experience in relationship to that love. Like if Correct. I'm if I'm absorbing that love, if I'm taking that love, if I'm running towards that that hospital room, so to speak then it's a wonderful experience for me. Yeah. But if that, that love, which is there, if I reject it, if I turn it away so I don't want that, it's always going to be there pursuing me in a way, so therefore it's a hellish experience for me.
0: Yeah, and yeah. those two verses in Romans that you just quoted are the two that just put me sideways. Yeah. These are the things that cannot separate you, cannot separate you from the love of God, not anything present and not anything future. They cannot separate you from the love of God, not any, not life, not anything in life and not death. Death Mm. cannot separate you from the love of God and not any created thing. So you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. Mm. The the best you can do to try to do that is to create an illusion that you're separated, which God will constantly interfere with. This is a God who constantly, he's the grand, C.S. Lewis, the grand interferer. Yes. You know, yeah. I yeah. think I've got my life settled and and in control, and all of a sudden we'll there see is about something that, <laughs> that breaks <laughs> right. through, yep. and it's usually the kindness of God that yeah. breaks through, hmm. because that's what leads us to transformation.
3: Yeah,
2: that's so good. Well, Paul, we are just about um out of time, but I could talk to you all day. So we're gonna have to pick this up again another
0: time absolutely. I would love I'm that. So, so honored to be with you. Thank you so much. And thank and you. And
2: bef- before you go, where can people find you online? Where's the best place to connect with you on Twitter, Facebook?
0: Yeah. Right now, if you uh, go to WM for William, uh, my first name, WMPaulYoung.com and that'll connect you to everything. Yeah, I'm I'm not really good at all that stuff, but
2: um, <laughs> you're around though. You answered I'm my tweet around. way back you, in the you day. You can find so. it. If you go to
0: that site, there's all kinds <laughs> of, Interviews I've done and videos and all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. And, uh,
2: yeah. Thank you again, and I uh, will talk to you again soon. And absolutely. bless Blessings, Monday.
0: You too. Bye bye. Wish
1: I had a mansion. Wish I had something fancy. Wish I wanted a pop so go with the rainbow. I'm classy. Wish not had no death Maybe then I can't fix. Go ahead and run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other thing. I was beat, I'm a Wishing for my people, uh. We should have more better leaders. have enough to make our own land. Name my own I'm beach, should we bring our old sand? Where we live is so bland. So I'm much, free. we're high on demand. Tiptoe around, throwing high lows. Feel like James I'm Brown, love free. we going here to dance. Let me talk at the end of the day, we know I'm who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed to get the old lock. Lock, 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 champion lock, lock, Go ahead, call the ambulance I So we said our own ambience. Dub T T G train to go I Let's talk, you. no rambling Wishing I had something ring. foreign Wishing I had something for foreign Knowing ring. that I can afford it Knowing that I can afford it It's real love, it's real love But ring. I just ignore ring. it It's all love, ring. it's all love I But ring. I just ignore ring. it Wishing I had something foreign Wishing I had something foreign that I can I afford it, I, I can think afford think it It's real love, love, it's real love, I but I just ignore it, it's, it. it's all love, it's it. all yeah. love, but I just yeah. ignore it Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me Then I start clicking my heels to the ride to this beat Neat, everyone to follow my speed Let's close those more keys, hey. Carolina Rose on freeze hey. Wishing I could fly to the Keys, hey. that would be more free hey. Something in my mind hit the door, put, dough. My dough. Dough. put dough. on my fresh fit so Sir Charles, let's go, yo. we about finished. to go and get in, uh, let me talk, at the end of the day, we know who's at the fall, we got our hands up, ready for a box, undisputed, got the own lot. champions. Wishing I had wish something foreign, wishing I had something foreign, knowing that I, I can afford I'm it, knowing that I can afford it, it's real love, a it's world. real love, I'm but I just ignore it, it's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. I have something for it. Should I have something for it? No that I can afford I'm it. No that I can afford I'm it. It's real, love, it's real love, it's real love. but I just enjoy it. It's love, it's all love. But I just enjoy it. King is giving a festival. I wish. King is giving a festival. I
3: wish. King is giving a festival. I wish. King is giving a festival. I wish.